If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 341 of the Severe MMA Podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, a.k.a. the Pod God Shoddy Podcast, joined today by the Ralph Ranyuk of Irish MMA Media, Graham McDonald. As we talk about, um, you know, it's, it's actually going to be a very big week in the world of, of mixed martial arts. Uh, I'm going to throw it over to Sean Sheehan there later on to talk about uh, Bellator and uh, the UFC, but uh, we're going to start off this podcast by actually looking forward to next week. Uh, so the first half is going to be a preview, and the second half will be a review of this podcast. So we're going to look ahead to UFC 269 and uh, Cage Warriors as well, which should be very, very fun. But before we start all of that, it's holiday season, and that means that the stockings are to be stuffed and the elves to be cuffed. Well, today's sponsor, Manscaped, has got global with the tools to guarantee you'll score under the, uh, the tree and the mistletoe. Uh, Manscaped is the leader in men's blow the waist grooming and has served more than 4 million men worldwide if my maths is correct that's almost 8 million balls get 20% off with free shipping with the promo code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com ho 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 gents naughty or nice tis the season to perform Manscaped's best selling product is, uh, is the uh, performance package 4 by 2 which is per- absolutely perfect for Christmas it's the top of every man's wish list this year inside you'll find our lawnmower body trimmer the best trimmer on the market for your balls butt and body and a weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer I'm at, we're getting a bit old now Graham you know the two of us we need that fucking ear and nose hair trimmer it's it's getting to that stage now where we need a bit of everything like a little bit of help everywhere uh, let's not forget also the liquid formations uh, formulations even the crop preserver ball deodorant and the crop reviver mine are actually running out here Manscaped, if you're listening, send me out a few more of them. The the maximize your body hygiene. They're absolutely fantastic after the shower. Lash them on. Absolutely brilliant. I love a bit of them. I get the performance package now to receive their two free gifts. The Manscaped boxers and the shed travel bag. The dads can't stop talking about this. The teens secretly buy this, and the women will love you for it. Now, these are our picks for Manscaped's uh, surefire uh, win in stocking stuffers. So, the first of all, the, the Manscaped signature cologne. Uh, I, I'll be giving one of them to someone anyway this year, without a shadow of it out. Uh, the Shears 2.0 Luxury 4-Piece Nail Kit. I actually have one of them as well. I got the, the Mrs. Bobby one there a while back. She's like, cut them fucking nails. Uh, the Crop Mops Ball Wipes, which are brilliant for your stank balls and the crop reviver ball toner and refresher as well uh, small enough to fit in a stocking big enough to change a man's life these form- formulations are vegan cruelty free dye free 
sulfate-free and paraben-free so you know their products are legit. Make sure you hurry to their site and ensure these wild gifts show up before the holiday season. And while you're at it, get 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com. Whether it is for you, your partner, your dad, your brother, your friend, get them something that they will actually use and it's almost sure to get a laugh. So as I said again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com. Go to manscaped.com, 20% off, code SEVEREMMA and free shipping. Uh, Be the ballsiest gift giver this year with Manscaped. Right, Graham, let's get right into it straight away. And let's start to the big one, UFC uh, 269 coming up next weekend. We have two massive title fights um, on on stack here, on deck, uh, Charles Oliveira. I don't know where I went. I mean, there in the middle of that fight. I know where that came from. Uh, Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Barrier and Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena as well and some, and some other stuff as well. Let's start with Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Barrier, right? Because um, myself and Ian did uh, the edition of The Contender the other day uh, over on um, on Patreon. If anyone hasn't listened to it yet, it'd be a great time to sign up and start to the month as well. It'd be brilliant. And we talked about Paria and about like his cha- championship credentials. And Ian made a great point that Paria has done something that almost no fighter has ever done, where he got the money fights and then moved towards the championship fights. Like, some fighters now, you know, and, and maybe the belt and not necessarily the championship fights, but getting the belt now, as a lot of people do think you win it now, like, someone like a Masvidal got the money fights and then went to, for the title, but didn't manage to get the belt. But for Paria, like, it could be, you know, before we get to the fight or anything like that, it could be him really winning the game of MMA, couldn't it? Like, he's all the money in the world now after two big McGregor fights. If he wins this belt, there'll be another big McGregor fight coming up maybe down the line. We'll see about that. Or maybe another big title fight against whoever it might be before McGregor. Um, he's, you you can't help but be happy for Dustin Barrier, but also impressed by what he's done just in, in purely in terms of a career, we can talk about the fighting and stuff in a minute, but in terms of his career path, it's been exceptional for him over the last while, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. You know, he obviously lost to Connor and Connor uh, at 145 and made a move to 155, which moving up away class is kind of a more accepted and more, more done thing these days. But back then, if you were moving up a weight class, it's, uh, it seemed like, you know, especially moving into a, a division like the lightweight division where there's a bunch of, you know, upper echelon fighters uh, in the top 15. Uh, it, it was a it was a big move to make, you know. It would have it would have been easy to stay there and kind of try and build your way back up again. But he he took a risky path and he didn't take any easy roads. And you know, uh, you mentioned there he he kind of uh, the interim title. You know, we, we can kind of talk about that if whether the interim or the it counts as a real belt in another podcast, but. Um, you know, uh, to a fighter like Justin Poirier, I don't think you know his career in terms of his goals will be satisfied if if he doesn't if he doesn't um, win the title. But you know, he made the decision correctly, I think, and you obviously think as well to you know go for the the big money while it's there. Like, mate, you know, it won't be there forever, and somebody like a Conor McGregor that can bring in this money could retire or could something could happen he could break his leg or whatever at any time and you could that fight could be out of your grasp if you decide to to fight Charles Oliveira instead so I think all the decisions he's made have you know 
maybe uh, at the time maybe drew some some skepticism with the move up to 155 and people thinking oh maybe he shouldn't fight Conor again he should fight for the title but it's all worked out brilliantly he's secured his family for generations probably and now he's got a a, a chance in the kind of best spot in his career I believe you know I think he's at the peak of his powers now and now he's fighting for the real belt in a really big card as the the main guy so yeah he's yeah he's done it perfectly yeah 100% like I remember talking about it at the time and we both kind of I think we agreed on but I was talking to a few people and they they, they disagreed with it like that taking that uh, third McGregor fight it's weird it, it feels like the second McGregor fight because you forget about the first one but taking that McGregor fight anyway the one where the, the broken leg ensued was the best decision he ever made because you're not like you, anyone could end up like say Leon Edwards or whoever it might be and get not not just passed over for a title shot but you know you're on the verge of a title shot you think you're going to get it and you don't end up getting it for whatever reason and then you know, that, that's that gone. Whereas, if you take the McGregor fight, and the, the McGregor fight is there, and McGregor wants to fight just after obviously losing to you, you know you you know that's, that's a definite. You know you're going to get that, and you know the money is going to be absolutely huge from it as well. So what, like, the, the point there is, you take that fight, you earn a load of money against Conor McGregor, and then you fight for the title after it. Because you not only have the big money fight, but you've also secured... The, the title fight by winning that big money fight like if you beat McGregor you, you know you're you're right up there as one of the best in the world and it's another you know very good win obviously and if the same if you beat Paria in you're in the same position if say if you're McGregor so for Paria it it made so so much sense that like you know a lot of people talk about is the McGregor fight worth more than um or having the past anyway you know is the McGregor fight worth more than than the title fight and all this and you know, in terms of money, we, there's there's no denying it that it can be. Although a question kind of came in the other day ab- about that, and like, actually, I meant to answer in the Q and A. I suppose we could we could talk about it briefly now. But like, do people actually get more for the McGregor fight? And and I think it's about it's about negotiating your win there, and you know, r- refusing to fight for a certain amount of money unless they give you that amount of money. And I think Barrier did that, and he said he was. I remember that the last time he was on Ariel's show, maybe two times ago, he said he was uh, happy, but he could be happier. But that was after negotiations and after he had gotten a, an extra bit of money to fight McGregor. And now I'm sure you know <laughs> he, he's well able to do the, go- uh, do the negotiations. And if he gets pay per view points coming out of this, and he's fighting McGregor maybe in his next fight which I'm sure he'll want, then he's just set. Like, Dustin Poirier is absolutely set now financially in terms of his next two to three fights. Now, if he loses here, it's a different story um, in terms of the title. He might still have the McGregor fight. We can maybe discuss that after the, after the fight. But he, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's any denying that. But let's, you know, and for Charles Oliveira then, you know, the, the way to look at him, I suppose, is the way you could also look at Poirier in terms of the, the career. Now, they different enough career paths uh, but you know the same in like a long career path against many tough fighters to get to the very top I think Paria was always kind of close to the top but maybe just never getting <clears throat> sorry never getting to that next level 
Whereas I think a lot of people, us included, you know, have spoken about Oliveira as like someone who'll never get there or never even in the conversation. And then it kind of all turned around. I've mentioned before he had a winning streak to start his career, then like eight and eight or something like that, I think, in the middle of his career. And then a huge like nine or ten fight or whatever it is now at the moment, winning streak as well at this part of his career. And, you know, for Poirier, obviously he was very good at the, the first part of his career, then lost a few fights, obviously lost to McGregor and then... You know, he had the the interim title fight, but then lost to Habib. Uh, but I feel like in this part of his career, again, with the two McGregor wins and, you know, with the big performances before that again and the Alvarez and Gaethje fights or whatever it might be, uh, it feels like this is, is the, the good part of his career where he is destined almost for the championship level. And, uh, you know, what, what if you don't get the championship in, in the UFC, what would you like? The McGregor belt, probably. That's what he's got over the last two fights. But it's it's very interesting in terms of that, isn't it? These are two guys who have earned it and who really deserve it and who are there on merit, aren't they? Yeah, they really are uh, both there on merit. And I kind of talked about Poirier, kind of, you know, a lot of skepticism around him. And uh, even from me and you, like uh, throughout the years with Charles Oliveira, you know, there's a lot of questions around this game. He's always been a very dangerous grappler and submission artist, and he's always been a threat to to anybody because of how good he is uh, on the ground. But his striking was one thing, and his kind of um, mentality was was another thing that w- that was questioned throughout the years. And we, I think with good reason, you know, uh, um, we we see them kind of you know get into bad positions and and c- kind of you know maybe not tough it out like like we've seen him do in recent fights and you know he's obviously turned it around he his last loss was to, to Paul Felder which which is four years ago today or four years ago nearly, nearly exactly uh, and he's and he's reeled off some good wins there you know he, do, he does not he, he, he doesn't have uh, maybe the the record that Dustin Poirier has in terms of quality of opponent, but there's some very good guys there, you know, finishing Kevin Lee, uh, Tony Ferguson, and finishing Michael Chandler is definitely nothing to be sniffed at. But, um, you know, I think, you know, always in the back of your mind, there'll be a thing that maybe like Poirier can put it on him and break him here. But I think he's shown enough that he's, he's evolved in terms of, in terms of his mental game. And obviously his striking has evolved and his, his grappling is still very dangerous. So he has, he has ways to win this fight, but it is also, uh, uh, you know, a very tough opponent for him in his first title defense. And you know, uh, if I had to pick, I'd be I'd be going with Parier here. But I definitely think that uh, Charles Oliveira has has met the victory here and is much improved. But uh, I think you know Parier is is at the peak of his powers, and maybe Charles Oliveira might be might be. Uh, at the peak of his powers as well, but I think Poirier is the more well-rounded fighter in terms of everything. Yeah, and do you know the funny thing is what you you said there, like, uh, (laughs) it was one of those ones where, like, uh, some that we'd be talking and we'd be unsure a little bit about Poirier. We we were unsure a lot about about, um, about Oliveira as well, like, both of them, you know, because there was, like, Remember McGregor kind of said, uh, "Gust the wind did knock him over." You know, Arkira Karasadi knocked him down, everything like that. And the move up to one fifty-five, and you could say the same for Oliveira has definitely helped. But Oliveira, like, was that guy who was a Cubs Swanson who hit him, and he just went down, like, and you know, I suppose we held that against him for a long time. But when you're a fighter, Karasani as well, I think was another one where he, it was the Pario yeah. one, yeah. But our, yeah, the Pario one, yeah. But for Oliveira, like, remember that shot he took, and he kind of went backwards, and he went down, and like, obviously, it was. It was more serious than it looked. But, like, it's one of those ones where you rarely see... And I I was talking on a podcast recently about where you rarely see fighters get to this level without, like, the the 
unbelievable toughness like to get you through something like that and i'm not saying that he's not tough and that's something you can learn and you can you can add to your game and bring to your game and that's what Oliveira definitely has them but he's found ways around it and found ways of fighting different ways uh as well to make him even better we'll get into the fight in a second but it's it's i really think the story of this fight the story of this fight will be told in a lot of different ways and you know you'll have people mentioning mcgregor and all and it's it's impossible to to not mention him and and habib and different things but the real story of this fight is this you know the workman like careers of both of these guys to get there you know we talk all the time here you know as a podcast that covers uh people who are oh and oh and people who are fucking 50 and four whatever it might be um that journey from starting out your career to getting to the very top and <laughs> sometimes you you take an easy route you get there and you win all your fights and maybe you've okay like john jones you might have won disqualification or habib okay you have a couple of tough fights against like siglas and debo and stuff though you get all the way to the top but the vast majority of people who get to this stage of their career and especially in these tough divisions are people like these two guys or people like Glover Teixeira or Jan Blachowicz who have really like you know paid their dues who really really have put it all on the line time after time and deserve to be in this spot and these two lads absolutely do and for the fight itself you know you you briefly mentioned it there but let's let's break it down a little bit more um Oliveira has turned from a guy and you could say actually the same for Paria. When they started their career as a kind of jujitsu guys with um with a, with a lot of submissions, and Oliveira's obviously kept on his submission game throughout his career. I think for Paria, he's added in like a really, really um technical, sexy boxing game, if you want to put it that way. Out of the the South, I don't know where the word sexy came out of my mouth there, but anyway, let's go with it. Uh, but a, a beautiful boxing game, um, with absolute power, like. I remember someone said once that Paria was up there along with you know McGregor and a, and a couple more as the most powerful maybe pound for pound strikers in the UFC or in the the lightweight division anyone anyway, one of the most powerful strikers and I was kind of thinking about it watching some of his fight and I I think he absolutely is but then you look at Oliveira and the the kind of the game plan that he comes out with now which is a little bit like you know Jacare tried to do it for a while and Verdum tried to do it for a while which is just go balls to the wall full forward non-stop and if I get taken down look I have this unbelievable jiu-jitsu but I'm going to hit you with something really really hard in the meantime I'm going to overwhelm you in that in a way that you're not going to be able to counter me but I'm also going to be a little bit more technical in, in that it's also hard to hit me at the same time even if you do try to counter me and be brave like Michael Chandler was now Michael Chandler had some success uh, in that fight but he's like it, I think they're kind of diametrically opposed in terms of their um, their the, the way they fight you know Paria wants to fight the more controlled fight, and Oliveira maybe wants to to fight the more um, the more mad fight. Maybe you put it a little bit like Liverpool versus Man City. You know, you have the the, the mad Gigan press of of Klopp in uh, <laughs> in in Oliveira, and then you have the controlled maybe style of the Man City in Paria. What, what do you think of that comparison, Greg? Do you like it? Well, kind of like controlled chaos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is a bit like that, though, isn't it? In this fight. Yeah, well, you know, looking at it from outside, it could be like that. But you know, it it also could go a number of ways. Uh, you know, this is a this is obviously a five round fight and a huge, huge, huge fight for both of them. Obviously, um, they both have have experience in in big fights as well. But as we kind of talked about earlier, Parias, this is like the UFC title proper. It's kind of 
the the apex for for most fighters like Poirier going into the UFC or going into MMA. That that's the dream initially, and obviously making money and all that stuff and securing your family is amazing but it maybe isn't what what they they dream about before so it is a big moment and you know either guy could come out and look a bit look a bit uh you know uh, tentative early we, we've seen stuff like that happen before but uh i think the more likely guy to, for that to happen to is Oliveira, and you know obviously he's had that experience against michael chandler but um you know michael chandler was kind of in a similar or in a different position than than Poirier he was inexperienced in the U he hadn't been in the UFC and, and all that stuff so it's a you know it's a it's a factor definitely to 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 watch out for but uh you know Charles Oliveira is obviously full of confidence now as well he's on a he's on a nine fight win streak he's a UFC champion that that definitely you know if there was any kind of mental doubts about his own ability or or whatever uh, in his own head they they must be banished now, and you know, we know what we bringing it back to the football reference. We know, we all know how important like momentum is in all sports, and winning kind of leads to winning, leads to winning. And both guys are obviously taking away the Habib um, loss and Poirier's record. Both guys are on long long winning streaks for for years. So uh, maybe maybe it's it won't be a factor, but I think you know it's definitely one something to look out for. Yeah, and I think the the for Poirier, you know, before we 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 often talked about his, you know, that mental side of it. And you, we often mentioned and you, you. I'm never a great one for talking about that in terms of how lads lose because of their mentality. I like to think a lot of a, a lot of the time it's because of your game plan or your your ability. Um, but Poirier has like come out himself and said, you know, about early in his career, especially the McGregor fight as well, where McGregor just really got him out of his game and all. But the fact that he came back and has kind of conquered McGregor once, uh, one one and a half times, let's put it that way. Um, I I feel like that this time for this title fight, it'll be different. Like I feel like he's conquered those demons, but you never know when those demons come back up. Like. You know, the last time he was fighting for a title, he, he went out there and got submitted. You know, it was against yeah. Habib and Habib's but a different well animal. But that could though. be in his. They are, no, he definitely did, but that that could be in his head as well. You know, just yeah, it's definitely a huge moment, and there's a lot of nerves uh, before a regular UFC fight for all these fighters. You know, it's a it's a human thing, and it can, it can get overwhelming if you put too much pressure on yourself. But you know, these are this is a very experienced guy in Poirier, and I think I think you're right. These are different fighter uh, and guy uh, mentally since uh, obviously that McGregor fight years ago 145 so uh, you know maybe it won't be a factor but you know this is a huge huge moment and it'll be interesting to see how if both guys look and look like they usually look and what their game plans are and if they're affected at all by the kind of magnitude of the moment and the jeopardy and the the kind of you know the accumulation of of everything uh, if they do win and for for uh Oliveira obviously winning the title as a vacant title maybe you know he'd like to go out there and kind of prove himself as a champion as well and that will add a pressure as well and maybe it's a historic thing for both guys but I think both guys you know I haven't heard, heard Jota Oliveira say it outright uh, but I think you know it's it's kind of well documented. Well documented that he maybe suffered with that in the past. So, you know, yeah, it's a it's a stressful game, and this is a huge opportunity. And the, the spotlight is on. It's a it's a huge card. It's probably the the most anticipated fight of Oliveira's career. And obviously, um, Poirier's coming off 
uh, two McGregor fights and had a McGregor fight in the past, which are probably bigger in terms of pressure. But you know, uh, it's definitely it's definitely a high pressure, high stakes, high jeopardy situation. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I can't wait for it. Like, it. It's one of the most. It's it feels like it's it's a little bit under the radar just because it's close to Christmas and you nearly forget about this card coming up. But uh, yeah, yeah. I think though these days we talked about it before the <laughs> the momentum and the kind of buzz and hype around the fights only starts kind of late in the week. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and like I think the fact that you'd almost like there, there was a bit of talk over this fight as well, and it's like, oh, is the fight going to happen? Is it not going to happen? What way is it going to go? And you kind of forget it because you know for a while there during their own especially there was fights getting signed and they were happening like three weeks later and we kind of got back into that <laughs> i feel like but now as well this was probably signed like four or five months ago and we we're like oh yeah well they are maybe three months ago and so many fights have happened since that you'd nearly forget about the fact it's been signed but uh, yeah as you say and I, I like i think that actually the fact that that is true the fact that like it's the last three or four days before the card actually happens that people are start talking about it and getting hyped for it is a very very lucky thing for the UFC because if that wasn't the case they wouldn't be selling many uh, many pay per views but yeah I, I think this is speaking this of pay per views what, how do you how do you see this pay per view number coming out like it, uh, it'd be interesting to see like how much of a star parade yeah. can can be kind of by himself I don't think Oliveira is pulling too many numbers by himself but yeah. obviously he's a champion and it's a big stakes fight yeah Amanda Nunes is always good as well as like the second fight on on a pay per view Amanda Nunes has pulled over a million like three times in her career I think or twice maybe but not all down to her but I, I think it'll do I think it'll do pretty well because I, I I feel like people are kind of staying in towards Christmas now, so maybe it's different in America, but I I feel like, you know, this might be the weekend before we all go out for our Christmas parties the weekend after or meet up with our friends and stuff. Well, maybe not in Ireland because everything will be shut down. But you know what I mean? It might be it might be just coming on, on a good weekend. And I think as well, I was listening to Dave Meltzer's podcast the other day and he was talking about like the biggest draw for the year. And obviously number one is McGregor. But he was saying, you know, number two is Poirier because of obviously the McGregor fights and then Usman after it and whoever else it might be. But I, I do think that those I do think it means something like it, it has to mean something that you were one of the main protagonists in the biggest feud of the year in the two biggest fights of the year in the biggest drawing pay-per-views of the year. Like if a person sees that Dustin Poirier is fighting for the title this weekend, if they're watching SportsCenter or Fox News or whatever it might be and they see it, um, I, I think they'll know like that will matter like if they see uh, Juliana Pena is fighting for the title this weekend or maybe Jan Blachowicz is fighting for the title or Yuri Prochacka it probably doesn't mean yeah. very much to him but Plaria does maybe maybe they've also already signed up for the ESPN Plus for the year to to watch the last Plaria fight and you know uh, it isn't as much of a barrier as maybe it, it was before to go to the trouble of signing up for ESPN Plus and then getting the pay-per-view so uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the num- what the numbers are. Like, were you thinking this is going to do over a million or under a million? Oh no, way, no, 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 not close to a million. No, I would say, um, oh, I would say six hundred and fifty thousand, maybe if they were doing well. It'd be massive. If it was seven hundred thousand. I, I, I would think, like, I think somewhere between, f- I think, I think about five hundred and fifty, maybe six hundred. Like if if it does, if if five hundred and fifty, I think is a very good number. I think seven hundred and fifty is a massive number. You know, I th- I think if they do maybe bef- bef- below four fifty, that's 
you know, that's not great. But yeah, I think it'll be about there. Pay-per-view numbers have bounced back in the last while, you know, especially, you know, since Serona came. Remember that Tony Ferguson card that did huge pay-per-view numbers? They're like, wow, what's going on here? You know, but yeah. it's, it's I think I think changed. cards around kind of Christmas and New Year's all, always do a little bit more as well. Uh, I don't have the data in front of me or anything, but uh, just off, off memory, maybe because it's fucking freezing and <laughs> people yeah, are staying yeah, in. Yeah, and yeah, staying out of it, lad. But yeah, yeah, I think, you know, look, we must talk about the Nunes fight as well. Like, the man who is fighting Juliana Pena, it's look, it's not the best fight in the world, but I I do like the way Juliana Pena has talked it up. And you know, as we talk about getting closer to fight week as well, I feel like if there is a press press conference and a bit of back and forth, Juliana Pena is maybe not the best talker in the world, but is a good shit talker in terms of like she'll just talk shit. And as we see with Colby, that has worked over the last while. I think she will talk shit to Amanda Nunes. And you know, it's not the worst matchup in the world like for Amanda Nunes. I know that might be stretching it a bit, but like, I think Pena is very strong. I think she's good wrestling. I think she needs to push Amanda Nunes up against the cage and try to try to drag her to the ground to get on top of her. Um, and I think she will try to do that. Like, there's some people you think, oh, well, this is the way they can win. Will they go out and try to win that way? And they don't. But I do think Juliana Pena genuinely will. So that gives me some hope that she might go out there and have a little bit of success in this fight. Now I think Amanda Nunes will win and, and win at a canter. But I uh, I do think for the first couple of rounds, Juliana Pena will make a fight out of it. Um, and I do think she'll make a fight out of it on the week coming up to it as well, in terms of the, the, the shit she talks. What, what are your uh, anticipation levels of, maybe not this fight yet, but in terms of what the fight will be, maybe? Well, I'm, I'm always interested to see Amanda Nunes on the scale because sometimes, you know, she doesn't come in in, in the best shape, but I don't think it'll it'll matter too much either way in, in this fight. I think Judana Pena is obviously a good wrestler, as, as you said, but Amanda Nunes is just, just too good everywhere. I, I, I just see another um, demolition job here, like a, an early TKO or drops her and submits her. Um, uh, I just, it's a really difficult fight for Julian and Pena, and uh, I think it's it's really is a man, Amanda Nunes's fight to lose. It would be a, it would be a big upset and a shock to me if 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 she's yeah. caused any any trouble at all really in this fight. Be one of the biggest upsets in UFC history, I think, without a shadow of a doubt. Like it's a big time as well though for Amanda Nunes because. Like, what does she do over the next while? There's Kayla Harrison, who's her teammate, who she's probably not going to be calling out. And then it looks like Kayla Harrison's going to go to Bellator, although, although you'd never know. You know, Julia Budd, one of the only other people that maybe could challenge her, who she's kind of already beaten, if memory serves me correctly, is gone to PFL. And obviously we know Cyborg is in um, is in Bellator already. It's it's a very, very odd time for her. You know, you're looking at rematches in the game, if it's Holly Holm or Jermaine Durandamy or whoever it might be. Um, or, you know, maybe Ketlin Vieira is the one coming through and Misha Tate just lost to Ketlin Vieira. So. Shevchenko. Yeah, Shevchenko as well, but that's another rematch and she's beaten her twice already. That's a big fight. Obviously, we all want to see that. I'm not downplaying that fight, don't get me wrong. But, like, let's say she does get that fight and she wins that. What is there then? Like, <laughs> there is there is just nothing did after that. Um so I don't know. Maybe losing here to Juliana Pena would be the way to go. <laughs> just, just go in there and fucking tap after ten seconds. And go, oh, let's have a rematch. You know, doing. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I and and my my point I'm kind of making there more than anything is okay. Yeah, over next year it'll be interesting to see what happens with Nunes. But also like there must be something mentally if you're in that position where you've everyone beaten, like, and you're about to beat him for the fucking third time. You're about to lap him like Michael Schumacher in the nineties. You know, it's it's. 
it cannot be easy to keep getting up for all those fights. As you said about getting on the scale, maybe that's uh, uh, in terms of the preparation, in terms of like... Um, get, it's all get too easy, is, yeah. what, is what you're saying, basically. It is, yeah. it is too easy, yeah. And, and it, has been, it has been really easy, you know, and you can take your eye off the ball. We've seen it happen in loads of different sports and loads of different fighters, and, uh, you know, it can all get a bit too easy. And we can see with John Jones, you know, you can get distracted with other things or, with, with you know, you can we can go through the list of people. But, uh, you know, I think there's... I think you do try to make the Shushenko fight again. I think, obviously, she lost twice, but, you know, most casuals don't know that or don't have any idea about have forgotten that even if they did they did see it and uh, the hardcore fans will understand that Shevchenko's in a different place now and maybe maybe she'll lose again but it would be a much closer fight and she has um you know a much better chance than she did in the past and you can make that fight and you're saying oh who's who's coming after that but you can kind of worry about that afterwards you know um somebody might make a name for themselves somebody might go on a streak you know there, there might be some kind of split in the camp or he, she might fight her teammate you know things can change so uh yeah i think i think it, it has gotten too easy and that that maybe is why she maybe isn't in the same shape as as she used to be and for some fights but she she hasn't needed to be you know she's come out and won so easily and um i haven't heard anything about her not putting in the putting in the you know the time in the gym or anything like that so i think she's still training regularly and all that stuff i don't think she's completely taking her foot off the pedal but you know if uh shushenko was to come in there hungry against her and she was to be kind of not taking it seriously then that would make a even more interesting fight that she could end up losing indeed graham can i ask you a question have you the card open in front of you do you yeah you're are I, you I, do, I, yeah. I do now yeah who's alex perez's opponent uh, Matt Schnell oh Matt Schnell <laughs> can't you smell that smell yeah, yeah I, I, the I, smell uh, that surrounds you <laughs> bit, of, bit of Morrissey in the middle of the podcast as well as at the end That's of the podcast Leonard Skinner oh Leonard is it alright uh, yeah, yeah what's Leonard Skinner's main song again his, his uh, most famous song probably Freebird or Sweet Home Alabama Sweet Home Alabama yeah. what a song fucking chill but uh, yeah, the, look, the undercard is pretty good here. It's it's pretty good. Kai Kara France against Cody Garbrandt. That fucking that's a fucking great fight. Cody, like Kai Kara France can hit hard, as we've seen in these last few fights. He he has issues as well. You know, he's fucking nine losses out of out of thirty one fights. Don't get me wrong, but you know, Cody Garbrandt will be the favorite going in here. I would say, but Kai Kara France can cause him trouble. You know, Sean O'Malley's on this card again as well against. Uh, uh, Paiva, Jeff Neal. Is Jeff Neal on the guard? He got arrested the other day for drunken driving and stuff. But uh, never... It's the UFC, so I'll be yeah, I'll be grand. He's fighting Ponzinibbio, who Gunny Nelson called out the other day. Great to see Gunny back as well. I've got nothing but fucking friends. Um, things popping up on my my cookies now all over the place because of uh, listening to him about Ariel. But anyway, uh, Priscilla Cachoeira against Gillian Robertson, Randy Costa, Tony Kelly, the the great uh, Claire Hurler, Ryan Hall is on the card against Derek Miner. Derek Miner's the guy who fights out of James Gallagher's gym. James Krause's gym, I should say, but just the same thing. But um, he's a he's like a, a heavy wrestler and stuff. So it's funny. I wonder how he'll fight Ryan Hall. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, Dominic Cruz against Pedro Munoz. Josh Emmett versus Dan Ige. What a fucking card this is. And there's more. Augusta Sakai tied to Ivasa. Eric Anders, Andre Munoz. Erdem Blanchfield against Miranda Maverick. Whoo. Whoo. What a card. 
What a great card. That Dominic Cruz. Look, Dominic Cruz, Pedro Munoz, now that it's on this card. Okay, I'm happy enough with it. You know, I'm glad it's on the card. But also, that fight makes fucking no sense. Why didn't... Uh, I don't know. It just makes so little sense. It, uh, Dominic Cruz... Dominic Cruz should be in fun fights. He shouldn't be fighting fucking Pedro Munoz, a number fucking 12 ranked fighter or whatever. But anyway, what stands out for you on that undercard? 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 <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. Uh, I always like uh, Dominic Cruz. He's, he's different. I always like to, you know, there's a lot of same same or similar styles in, in fights. And Dominic Cruz obviously offers something different. And Ryan Hall historically has maybe in, the, in, in his last fight, it wasn't the wasn't the most exciting and wasn't really, um, you know, what we expect from Ryan Hall. But uh, I think this is a little bit of an easier fight. So we, we might see him back to his uh, crazy but effective self in that one. So, yeah, I think uh, definitely the Dominic Cruz and the, the Ryan Hall fights, uh, just because something a little bit different. Yeah, indeed, I, I would tend to agree with that. But a bit of tie to Ivasa with the walkout. Uh, what, what is it, Spice Girls that he walks out to? Oh, that should be fun as well. So can't wait. This is an absolutely brilliant card so i'm looking forward to it and uh, everyone tune in right let's talk uh, a little bit about cage wires um i'm actually going to get brad on over in Sherdog as well to uh to review these car or to preview these cards with me i, I won't i'll tell i won't lie i've already done that and i had terrible technical difficulties but it worked out all right anyway they'll, they'll be up over the next uh, few days uh but look at true obviously cage wires 131 is on um is it is it Friday and Saturday, if I'm not mistaken? The eleventh. Uh it yeah, is Friday and Saturday, isn't the it? Tenth and the eleventh, yeah. So on the first night we have the middleweight title up for grabs, Matt Bonner against uh, Jatty Milan. And in the co main event that is the lightweight title that was uh, vacated by Joe McColgan as the King of Middlesbrough, George Hardwick, is taking on Mehdi bin Lachtar. Um Look, two very good fights. Uh, Milan is is the type of guy who, you know, <laughs> you go and watch him fight. As uh, I mentioned this preview coming up as well, and you think he's a striker, and then he fucking double legs someone in the middle of the cage. He's one of those lads. Hits hard, is good everywhere. Bonner, you know, fighting out of the next gin gym, you know, he's going to be good underground as well. But his improvements all around over the last while have shocked a lot yeah. of people. I think so. That's going to be a that's going to be an interesting fight. I'm a bit a little bit surprised it's the main event, I suppose. But they do like Bonner. Uh, been locked down Hardwick, I think, will maybe be a little bit more exciting. But they're two good fights, aren't they? Yeah, I think the Bonner fight. You know, obviously he's he's had a kind of higher level of competition and a more experienced career, and uh, Milan is coming in. You know, he hasn't fought in two years, and before his split decision win against a nine and one guy, he was kind of fighting. You know, four and one, two and two, four and two, two oh and one, five and five and five and one guys. So his level of competition and his uh, activity levels haven't been haven't been the same but he's undefeated so he'll have that he'll have that confidence and he you know he, as you said he's a he's a strong all-around guy and explosive so he's definitely a, he's definitely a danger everywhere but you know you'd have to think that with the level of competition and the the activity levels that is this is this is Bonner's fight to lose I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be so sure. To be honest, I don't know. I think it'd be. Uh, I think it'd be closer. I'm interested to see the betting odds when they come out on that one. To be honest, because like Milan could be one of those guys. Uh, you know, he's seven and zero fighting. I think he's fighting out of France. Whenever you see someone like that, Ian Dean is putting them in a title shot. I'm like, whoa! <laughs> I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be betting against them. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be fun. But the, the comment is going to be. 
Like, that's going to be a fight of the year contender, I feel like. I don't think Mehdi Ben Lakhtar can have uh, a boring fight. And George Hardwick is always in fun fights too. A good stand-up fighter, you know. He had a great fight with, uh, or a good fight with Richard Kiley. And he fought well in his last Cage Warriors fight as well. So, that's a, that's a really fun one. And the winner of that fighting against Joe McCulligan in the new year, if that happens. Whew, that's, uh, that's a lot of fire there in that Cage Warriors uh, lightweight division. I remember I made, um a, like, a bracket for a Cage Warriors lightweight division there about, what, a year ago, maybe. And, you know, Oban Elliott was in it, and he's got off the welterweight. Redstrom was in it, and he's gone. And, you know, half of them are gone now. But anyway, it's uh, <laughs> it's still fun, and there's still a lot of uh, a lot of talent there uh, to be, uh, you know, to be enjoyed. And this one is definitely going to be a fun one. I spoke to Oban Elliott last week. You know, he's one of the best up-and-comers in cage wars. He's fighting Matter Flaminas, though. Matter Flaminas' record is is insane. And when I asked Obed about that, he was like, uh, to be honest, I didn't even know his record. And I looked at it after I, I accepted the fight. And I was like, oh, Jesus, he's fought all those all those lads. But uh, uh, Obed's hilarious. If you haven't listened to that interview, it's up on the, up on the Sherdog YouTube. Uh, he's, a, he's a real character. And he could be the next guy. I think he'll be the next guy, honestly. You know, he had a heart problem and he had to get cleared. Something like Dan Hardy. And Dan Hardy actually helped him get back and get cleared to fight with Safe MMA and everything. And, you know... Fighting down at 155 wasn't great for him. Now up at 170, you know, he fought George McManus, who's a huge 170 in his last fight. And now he's fighting Flaminas as well, who's, you know, one of the best in experience. 11 fights versus 5 fights. That's a big difference in experience there, uh, especially for a guy only in his second fight up at welterweight. So, um, you know, and I know Flaminas is far around the weights a little bit as well, but don't, don't get me wrong, but uh, that's... Oh, that's a big test. If Oban Elliott wins that, he'll be right in there. In you, you can't beat Madison Minas and kind of not be in that title picture. And only six fights into his career, maybe that's a little bit quick for everyone, Cage Warriors included. But you can't maybe deny him that. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to that one and and the rest of this card as well. Um, Yasin Balaj is on this card. Uh, Jean and Dai, who's been around for a long time. I know he's he was retired for a while, wasn't he? And he came back. Uh, Kingsley Crawford against Liam Gittins, Ben Reese, Luke Riley as well. So it's a, a good uh, a good opening night for our cage warriors. And then on the, the Saturday night, um, they have another two title fights. One thirty five and one twenty five are on the line here. Uh, Dominic Wooding, you know, I spoke a lot to, to Brad about Dominic Wooding, and you know, I think cage warriors kind of have high hopes that Dominic Wooding could be their next star as well. He's fought the likes of Franz Malambo, and you know, very early in his career, lost to Andy Young, and uh, I think myself and you, Graham, both have seen him fight live a good few times uh, because he's fought in Ireland, you know, on those Bama shows a while back, and it's kind of he's one of those guys who's really risen through the ranks in in the hard way, you know, in the the Peter Queeley type of way where he's taken the tough fights and and fought. The who's yeah, who of difficult the style matchups like Andy yeah. Young that you mentioned, you know, a, a hard nosed wrestler, relentless, uh, decent on the feet as well, just keeps coming forward. Like, you know, uh, most strikers coming in looking to be loser early in their career, kind of looking to build a, the KO, the, the highlight reel. But Dominic Rudding, as you mentioned, came in and, you know, he's eight and four, but, you know, he never took an easy fight. So uh, losses by decisions to like split decision to to Dean Garnett. You know, we, we've seen Dean on the scene for a long time as well. He's a, he's a dangerous guy to be taken on in only one of your first fights. And uh, Andy Young, as we mentioned, and Blaine O'Driscoll, who he beat, you know, these are some tough guys that, he, that he's taken on. And uh, it stood him, it stood him, it stood to him well. And, you know, he's obviously at the top of uh, Cade Warriors now. And, uh, you know, an, uh, a nice highlight 
real win or an impressive victory here and maybe another one and he could be he could be in the UFC so uh, you know uh, maybe the Bellator thing will hold him back a little bit from that you know obviously you've talked about it before UFC don't really want um, people who've been kind of lost and been released from cage warriors or from sorry from Bellator but you know if he continues to to be the cage at the top of cage warriors be the cage warriors champion landing like head kick and head kick knockouts like he has in his last two fights you know I'm sure the UFC will yeah. will over- overlook that <laughs> will, yeah. Yeah, happy enough to go with that <laughs> if yeah. you're exciting and you can you can perform in like the European market well and you're exciting mm-hmm. striker you know uh, the UFC will probably overlook that yeah and Carlos Abreu big opportunity for him as well you know coming in and he's cage or his debut I believe uh, right for a title shot so you know I, I don't know much about him. I was I trying to look him up there. I couldn't find much. Maybe I'll find it by the time the fight comes around. But uh, yeah, that's a big one there. But the, the co-main event is maybe the, the tastiest fight of the week in Cage Warriors in terms of like the drama. So Creasy and Shanks fought uh, for the title in the last fight. Shanks missed weight and then Creasy won by submission. But the replay afterwards showed that there had been a tap by Creasy previously. Um and that it, it was on it wasn't seen and I think there was a disagreement over it but they looked they decided to to rematch anyway big thing here can Shanks make weight first of all and how will the fight go like Creasy had lost twice for the title coming into the last fight now he, he could come into this fight it, there's so many integers to this one like will Shanks make weight you know what what if he doesn't make weight will it will uh creasy still take the fight even though he's kind of given him the title fight if he doesn't shanks wins what's going to happen then is the title going to be vacated or is creasy going to hold that to didn't creasy have lost three title fights oh, it's, it's surely just... surely he has to make weight yeah. <laughs> hopefully hopefully <laughs> but you never know but it's uh you know it's, it's Brad kind of described to me as Shanks is one of those guys he's a 130 pounder you know he's kind of caught between divisions and coming down to 125 is always going to be tough but that's uh, that's one you're, you have to keep an eye on all week and that's going to be an interesting fight the last fight like I, I wasn't expecting it maybe to be the funnest fight in the world but it was a back and forth for what thought did it go two or three rounds or something like that uh, and that's definitely one to tune into for again so the, those four title fights looking forward to all of them and then the, the rest of this card is is, is really really yeah, the good brothers. two of them oh, I'm always I'm always interested to see the Figlack yeah. brothers obviously you know uh, the only loss of both of their pro careers is to, to Ian Gary uh, <laughs> like between them they're, they're 12 and 1 and they're really, uh, you know, uh, big prospects. I think you know. Obviously, it's it's no easy fight against uh, Kent Companion, but I expect Matthias Figlak to kind of bulldoze his way through and uh, kind of continue doing what he's been doing. You know, um, we've all seen we've all seen the the things Ian Gary has done since that fight, and obviously that was only the third fight of of Fickla, or of Matthias Ficklack's uh, career. And since then, he's he's had one decision and three finishes against you know uh, maybe not the, the the top guys in in the on the roster, but decent guys uh, working his way up. Correct, I think you know not not going not going too fast, but not taking too easy fights. But you know, obviously Dominic Wooding did it a different way, but I think this is the the, the safe way to do it. And I think um, you know these are two good matchups. Obviously, Ian Dean is a 
is the matchmaker with cage wires and he's 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 like you know developing these guys uh properly and it's it's you know it's uh it's the way it should be done you know if you if you if you want to be uh if you want to learn your way up and you know maybe in two or three fights either or both of these guys could be fighting for a title and maybe win a couple there and be be 10 or 12 fights into their career and be in a much better place experience wise and and just all around uh, to go on to a bigger promotion like the yeah. UFC like I, I, don't, I don't think Kapine is, is as easy a fight maybe as you're making out there like Will Flory made that fight look easy but Will Flory is you know a raw bastard he'll push you forward and pull you to the ground and make you fucking mince meat out of you there like I think Figlack Maybe he has to prove that he can do that at this level. We've seen his striking, and we've seen, you know, we've seen his all-around game. But I think it'll take something like that. Like Kapoinen has a lot of boxing matches and a lot of kickboxing on his record. Um, and I, you know, I think it's a tough matchup. I think, I think Figlak, I believe in Figlak's all-around game, and I think he will have that game to do that. But he's going to need a good game plan to beat Kapoinen. There's no doubt about that. I think on the feet, that's a tough fight for him. So I'm looking forward to what he does. And like Mike as well. I think Mike is really, really talented. But, you know, he beat Oban Elliott as well, who I was talking up earlier on. And I know Oban's got up and weight now, but, you know, he's he's really, really good as well. And I agree, they're, they're two fantastic fighters. You know, Stevie McIntosh is, I, I think that's the right, uh, I agree with you, Ian, Ian, Ian is, I, I, look, I like the combined fight as well, don't get me wrong, but I think they're they're both uh, good matchups. But, um, yeah, I, I, will, I would definitely take the McIntosh one over the combined one, maybe. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Tobias Cirilla's back as well on this card. He lost to uh, William Gomez on the last Cage Warriors trilogy. And with, you know, the, the kind of the three lads at the top of that 145-pound division, obviously the two champions, Huge and Vucinic, and then uh, Morgan Charrier as well, not on this one. He has a big opportunity here to get his win back and get right back in that contention. Uh, I don't know what the crack with Gomez is. I don't know if he's still with Kerry or what he's doing or where he is, but, you know, maybe he'll be back as well. But we, we will see on that one. But Harilla has a big opportunity uh, to put his name right back in it here. And uh, he has a big fight uh, as well against Jair Jr., who fought in Bellator not too long ago, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and in the, the undercard as well, Jamie Richardson is on it. Uh, Brad was mentioning Tanio Pagliarico. He's supposed to be a very good fighter. He's fighting Aiden James. Uh, Aaron Aby versus Samir Fadeen as well. That's a fun fight. So, you know, really, really good two cards here from Cage Warriors and a really great weekend uh, of uh, of mixed martial arts. If you're over in the, the States as well, uh, LFA have a card on. And um, on the same night as Cage Warriors, 131, probably a little bit later than that. They've actually two cards on that night as well. Or uh, they've, they've a card on the night before as well. So, you know, they always put on uh, some good American cards if you're, uh, if you're that way inclined. And, you know, it's... Um, you know, I, I think a lot of these promotions are trying to get their uh, their cards in before the end of the year. But uh, anyway, uh, actually, before we go, what, what do you think of Kevin Lee getting released from the UFC, Graham? What was your what was your first reaction to that? Um, I don't know. It seemed a bit harsh. Um, obviously, it was said he tested for Adderall, which is like a I don't I know too much about it, but uh, it's a popular apparently it's a popular drug in America for kind of. Uh, ADD and things like that are yeah. people who can't concentrate and stuff like that so I don't really know the advantages of it uh, in terms of USADA uh, but you know we've seen guys it's definitely on the band list so we shouldn't be taking it but we've seen guys take things that to me from not much knowledge of it seem worse and you know not be released and Kevin Lee you know he may not be a huge draw or anything but he's a kind of you know well enough known fo- uh, fighter and 
in exciting fights and stuff. So I was surprised that it, that he was released. But you know, maybe mm. he was asking for yeah. asking for things behind the scenes that they didn't like, or maybe there's some kind of disagreement back yeah. there, back then. Like, when, when you're a guy, the scenes, when you're a guy who's constantly injured, right? You fail a drugs test. You haven't reached your potential. You're probably never going to reach that potential if we're being honest. Like, I, I'm not, not, you know, I'm not me to take the UFC side here, right? But I, I was talking to, I was talking to Spencer Kite about him. We're actually going to, we'll talk more about it on the the um, state of the UFC, which we do towards the end of the year. But I, I, he kind of said it to me. I was like, yeah, you're actually, it's a good point. Because I was kind of thinking, oh, Kevin Lee, you know, cut as well. But yeah, it was... I I do now thinking about it a little bit more like it does like if you're looking from the UFC's point of view it does make a little bit more sense like I don't know I just don't think Kevin Lee's going anywhere in, in the UFC and you know someone someone tweeted there at Ally Quinta a while back go to Bellator and get the belt you know and people were kind of laughing at that rightly so because Ally Quinta's kind of over the hill I think now at this stage Ally Quinta's a different day. but Kevin Lee I think he needs to go somewhere like that someone suggested PFL too I think that'd be a great move for Kevin Lee I think he look if his body can get through it it'd be fantastic but imagine that like that pfl if he went to welterweight and fought in pfl imagine him let's set pettis up at welterweight as well um obviously we we have the champ over there at the moment um uh or what's his name what i uh, god almighty i can't believe i'm forgetting his name ray cooper the third rory mcdonald have i mentioned him um glacid tebow what a fucking tournament that would be there's some great welterweights coming there miles price is he going to be fighting a welterweight is he signed for pfl who knows Oh, could be fun. Could be fun. They're putting on a lot more cards next year and PFL yeah. as well. That's I, 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 I was kind of looking at it more from why the UFC would cut him because you know he is a bit of a name and you can kind of build guys uh, off dog. him. You know, that he's... dog's gone mad. What's wrong with the dog? <laughs> uh, he just barks at the door when, whenever anybody goes near. Uh, who's near? Who's at the door? Go out and answer for fuck's sake. Anyway, go on. We leave it there. I got to throw it over now to uh, to Shachi and to talk about uh, Pettis versus uh, who the fuck is Pettis fighting? Pettis versus Haraguchi. Jesus Christ! How can I forget that fantastic fight? And uh, Aldo versus Font. Take it away, Shani. Thank you very much, Shani. Uh, you're a great man. You do, you know a lot now, a lot more now than you did back then when you were you were last talking because we had an absolutely phenomenal card tonight. When I say we, I mean we because I've drafted in a bit of help to talk about the card because it was so uh, so amazing. I wasn't planning that, but I said, fuck it. Come on, Ian, let's do it. So Ian and Neil joins me right now for the next 15-ish minutes as we uh, look at, at the Fontversaldo card and a bit of the Bellator card as well, Sergio Perez, uh, with an unbelievable knockout there. We'll get to that in a second. Ian, how are you today? It's, it's grand for you now over in Canada. What, what time is it over there, actually? It's probably like 1 o'clock. Uh, we're getting late, so... 20 past midnight now over here oh, so fucker it's 6 20 in the morning here that's what i'm starting to general i am I, I can tell you but come on get into it so just so uh pe- people actually have this when they get up in the morning it'll be too late for the people when they get up in the morning if i don't do it quickly so um nah. let's talk about the main event first all together because there's a brilliant character Vaughn versus aldo um and the, and the main event itself was was a phenomenal one i thought in terms of like i i, I look i talk about it all the time no I, no, I don't talk about it all the time. I talk about it irregularly in terms of when we see great fighters making great adjustments in the middle of fights because it doesn't happen very often. But that's what we saw tonight. If anyone tells you any different, don't listen to them because that's exactly what we saw. It was it was brilliant by Josie Aldo. Rob Fon came out and he came out quick and he was winning that fight. And, you know, there was, I, I think the broadcast kind of missed a little bit and a lot of people I saw on Twitter and stuff missed it a little bit as well. What actually happened in that first round? Because Font was winning the battle. You know, he was going forward and Josie Aldo was trying to go forward at the same time. We talked about it a little bit in the preview show. 
you know, who's going to win? Is it Jose Aldo style or is it Fon style? And Fon style won early because Aldo was trying to go forward too and just wasn't working for him. Fon was quicker than him. He was landing better strikes than him. It turned into a boxing match. He said there was no leg kicks and stuff early. And Aldo, in the middle of that first round, realised it. There was one stage, there was a big... Um, flurry of combinations between both of them and Aldo kind of I wouldn't say he got hurt but he definitely got hit and he got hit hard and Font um, Font didn't and I think Aldo realised that shit is like well what's, what's what, what are we doing here like what, am I am I just doing this for the for the goodness of this fight or am I going to go out and try to win this fight and try to fight the right fight and I think at that stage he did he realised or, or he maybe he didn't realise it but he tried to adjust and what he did was he took a step back. He said, right, I'm losing this round. Let's take a step back and see what's happening here. And what what was happening was Aldo was going forward and trying to be first. Font was going forward and trying to be first. And Font was winning that battle of being first. But when Aldo stopped trying to be first and Font could every time, Font didn't, didn't have to be on the front foot trying to be first all the time because he could just do it. So that non-stop output of Font and that non-stop winning of Font stopped. He was still winning for a while, but he wasn't winning like every battle because there weren't as many battles. There were fewer battles. And Jose Aldo took that away. And then uh, he started winning off the back foot. Font, Font, Font started coming forward and Aldo started slipping and ripping, hitting him with shots. And as they came towards the end of the round, he was doing that will. And he hit him with a beautiful shot and nearly knocked him out at the at the end of the first round. But I, I, have, I have a lot more to say about this fight as we go through it. What, what was your take on uh, on that first round, Ian, before we, we get into uh, anything else, I suppose? Yeah, I think that, that you covered uh, the first round quite well there. And I mean... Um, for we had talked about it time and time again that truly great fighters can make those adjustments mid-fight and they need to when you're fighting at the highest level you need to be doing that and Jose Aldo did that tonight I think I think what happened with Aldo as well is that he kind of realised too that I think Rob Font wasn't really going to be able to devastatingly hurt him, which kind of gave him a little bit more confidence to to sit in the pocket and land those big counter shots. And that just proved to be the case nearly the whole way throughout the fight. And it was an absolutely sensational performance from 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 Aldo. I mean, I'm practically speechless. What more can we say about that man? Um to be able to produce the performance like that and, and the twilight of his career, you know, uh, the scorecards won't reflect. The, the fight was a lot closer than what the scorecards yeah. would, would, would reflect like, but I do still think that Aldo wasn't really ever truly in trouble, um, bar the swelling around his eye. Um, and it was just unbelievable. And uh, I really think... You know, him taking a step back, introducing the leg kicks mid through, midway through the fight. Um, we, we talked about the takedown. He introduced takedowns as well. Just kept Rob Font guessing. Um, he he, he utilised his striking and, and, and his output was just right so that he didn't gas himself out. He kind of looked like he was slowing down a little bit at the end of the third round. But then at the start of the fourth round again to immediately, immediately come out and hurt Rob Font and that 
just gave him a full head of steam again. But a sensational fight, sensational performance from from Jose. It was almost like he had one thing per round. You know, we we talked about it uh, on the previews. I mentioned, but I I remember mentioning the word variation after you asked me the question about the takedowns, and you know, your question was a very good one and led to a good answer as well because it's exactly what we saw here. Like if you look at that second round, Aldo started jabbing to then draw in Font. So when Aldo jabbed, Font came through with his shots, you know, trying to to kind of be first again. But it was a trap. It was a pure trap because all Aldo was doing was... Like, after tonight, Aldo's the greatest defensive fighter we've ever seen in MMA. He's, oh my God, he's unbelievable. After what he did tonight, it was was incredible the defense he put on there. But he, he was happy enough to let Font come in, attack him, and then he was just defending and countering and hurting Font every time. It was, it was like... It was like cheese in a mouse trap. Honestly, he was just destroying him in that second round in that in that portion of the fight. And as you said in the, in the third, he introduced the leg kicks and he had a couple of takedowns as well. But those leg kicks, like, were just a sign that Aldo was now running the fight, and he was not only happy to go back to going forward, he's now going back to kind of dominating the fight. And, and he hurt him, and he hurt him multiple times, and it started a forty hurt him as well. And in the takedown, obviously in the fourth, and he did one takedown, I think, before that, and one time where he kind of landed on top, or Font kind of half pulled guard or something like that. But by by the time the fifth came, Font tried his best to come out and he tried to win it, but uh, it it just wasn't to be for him. You know, Aldo was just absolutely phenomenally almost got uh, he almost got the finish even near the end. It's like it's hard to believe that Jose Aldo is a fighter that's been around for like fifteen years and was a champion for nine years, and that ended like six or seven years ago. It's fucking. It's a, it's actually crazy to see someone like that, isn't it? We, I think that for a period of time, I've been guilty of taking Aldo for granted as a fighter, and. You know, you look back in his career and obviously the the, the knockout loss to, to Conor McGregor just had like this just false narrative surrounded him after that fight that he wasn't as good as what he is. But he went back and proved after that knockout and he's after proven again. You know, he came up into the bantamweight or went down to the bantamweight division and, and had a horrible start. And I just don't know how... Like, how do you dig deep and 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 find the will and find the effort and to get yourself back there? I mean, it's I don't know what they're doing. Isn't he? He joined up with the Brazilian Navy. I don't know what the hell they're doing over in the Brazilian Navy, but whatever they're doing, it's certainly working for for Aldo anyway. Because I mean, he looked sensational tonight. Um, like you said, it wasn't just it was it wasn't just a win. It was a convincing win. It was a one that that has us all thinking again that, you know, he is capable and does is deserving of a title shot or definitely that number one contendership fight. And I was delighted to hear him call out TJ Dillashaw after the fight as well, because that's, that is the fight to make. Please, please, please make that fight. Yeah. Like we, we talked about in the, in the previous show as well, and I wasn't too gone on this fight, to be honest. And I, I like, uh... I, I, it's hard to it's hard to question the TJ fight now. You know he's put himself in, in that discussion, and and not that he wasn't in that discussion, but I feel like that discussion was more born out of where he is in the rankings rather than what he should be at this stage of his career. But after that performance tonight, you have to readjust that again. Like you have to put him back into those sort of fights again. You know you you just have to. It was yeah. it was so I- good. It was so good. I think that we're all kind of a little bit wary that we don't want to see Aldo put into a situation where he gets badly hurt. And, 
you know, in that Peter Yan fight, it wasn't really great watching towards the end. He was getting pretty beaten down, you know, and I didn't enjoy watching it. And I, I'd rather not have to watch that from, from Aldo. But I mean, he's after really turning a corner again, it seems. And, you know, the win against Pedro Munoz was, was good earlier on this year. And then, and then he's just up better that performance again against Rob Font, who, who can, has caused a lot of bantamweights, a lot of problems here. Rob Font is no joke. And uh, Aldo just, Aldo just owned that fight tonight. I was so impressed. I mean, it, he is one of the greatest fighters of all time and will go down as one of the greatest fighters of all time, doubt without doubt, without a doubt. Like, you can't watch that fight tonight after watching Aldo down through the years and not think he's one of the greatest. Okay, a win over Rob Font, maybe not, not might not be it, but like, a win over Rob Font at this stage of someone's career furthers what they've already done in their career you know you know this is uh i just i can't get over it. i'm actually like it's one of those fights where you watch it and you're like i could not believe i honestly could not believe what he did in the middle of that first round and then to keep it going and the intelligence of the display as well it wasn't just a great turnaround and you know he won it he was wily and he won it with experience but even the takedowns were in, was it in the second round he got on top for about two minutes and then he added in the um you know he added in the leg kicks after that but why did he add in the leg kicks you know we talked about it in the preview show about he since Aldo moved uh, down in weight but also since he came into the UFC he was fighting five round fights um, and he had the cardio issues against Hominick he stopped throwing leg kicks a lot more you know he stopped throwing leg kicks a lot more that makes no sense but you know what I mean he didn't throw as many leg kicks as he used to throw and I think cardio might be the reason but the fact that he had two minutes on top basically resting against Font then he came out in the third round and said well you know I'm recovered now I'm back this is a three round fight let's start throwing leg kicks because I have the cardio in my back pocket here to do it I also have a takedown in my back pocket if I need it which he brought out in the fourth uh, although uh, you know obviously uh, Font was hurt but it was just brilliant. It was just a brilliant all-around display. Savvy, smart, didn't look any bit slower than he's ever looked. Um, look, obviously in the first couple of minutes he did, but that was an adjustment to the style thing. But you know, br- absolutely brilliant. Uh, there's, there's an, go on. What were you going to say? The, the the experience of Jose Aldo really came out and showed tonight. You know what I mean? Uh, we talked about it on the preview show as well. Like when when Rob Font was making his uh, his professional debut it was the time when Aldo was reigning in, in the WEC and had multiple fights under his belt and yeah. and then added in and he has a, had an extensive career in the UFC and the he's seen and done it all. Yeah, so the, excuse the, me. The greatness showed, like the greatness yeah. really. Did you? Great. Yeah. You never see a fighter who's good doing what Aldo did tonight. You never, a good fighter won't do that tonight. It's only great fighters who adjust like that. It really, really, like sometimes you'll see someone getting tired and then someone else wins and stuff like that. Rob Font wasn't tired. Rob Font was still going. Rob Font was still fighting as well as he fought throughout the first three minutes of the fight. It's just Aldo turned it. Uh, but it was brilliant. We could, we could go on all night. To, to, do, <laughs> to do it with your back against the wall, like he had his yeah. back against the wall for four minutes and 50 seconds of round one, and he just found a way to make, to win the round with 10 seconds left, landing that huge right hand. And, you know, if that fight had went on maybe 10 or 20 seconds more, it could have been all over yeah. in the first round, you know? Yeah, really and he came close to, to stopping him on a few occasions. And credit to Rob Font for hanging in there as well and, and, and surviving all of that, you know? And he'll learn massively from 100%. this fight as well. Yeah. And he'll be back. He'll be back again for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's a learning fight for Rob Font. You can't be in with someone as good as that and not learn from him. You know. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, 
what he does next. But overall, look, it was a really, really good card, I suppose. We'll quickly run through the, the prelims and talk a little bit more about the uh, the main card. Uh, Vince Morales got a good win over uh, Luis Smolka, uh, as did uh, Claudio Puglia's early, who got the knee bar win over Chris Gritzmack or William Knight. Alonso Minifield put on a fucking mad fight altogether. Great judging there to give that fight to William Knight after Alonso Minifield absolutely nodding and held him against the cage for three and a half minutes Knight didn't do much either let's be honest but at least he landed a couple of shots early and a couple of shots late and that's enough when the other guy doesn't do anything with punches anything with submissions like just holding a person there doesn't score so that was great judging for me um, Shane Boy's got a good win over Mallory Martin there Brian Barberina and Weeks put on a good fight uh, Manel Cape looked absolutely phenomenal. Dusa Todorovic got a win as well. What, what stood out for you in that uh, on that prelim card? It was it was a pretty exciting one. Like I'm buzzing after this card. It was a great card, but that prelims were pretty good too, weren't they? Me too. I'm absolutely delighted you asked me to come on because there's no way I was going to be going to sleep straight away after the card. I can burn off a little bit of steam now by talking about it. But for me, um, the standout performance on the prelims. I mean, Manuel Cape showed the true fighter that he can be tonight um, against Samigulov, who is a really good fighter as well. Um, I was really excited for Cape coming into the UFC because the fight that he fought tonight was what he was doing to guys over in Ryzen, and that's what got him the title over there. Um, you know, very, very slow start. You know, he missed weight, lost fights, came in against good opposition, but he's found his way, an excellent fly knee knockout in his last fight and a, an absolutely sensational combination. Like the the replay, go back and listen to the replay. You can hear the sound of those punches when he was landing them. It was absolutely vicious. And, you know, he really has found his groove in the UFC and, uh, Cape definitely has a big uh, 2022 ahead of him. He's a couple of big fights. He'll definitely be fighting a top 10 guy next. That's for sure. Um, he, did, uh, he did the Ronaldo too. CR7. Well. Yeah, yeah, I saw it that. Even better, yeah, so. yeah, Savage. Go on. Uh, I thought... I thought Brian Barberina put on a classic Brian Barberina performance. It was a comfortable win. Darian Weeks, you know, he took the fight at short notice. He did well, though. Uh, he did well for short notice. Yeah. yeah. He, he, can, he, can, he can hold his head high for sure. I mean, he's a good prospect. He came up through the IMAF ranks. Um, and yeah, he'll, he'll be there or thereabouts again. I mean, there's no shame in losing to Brian Barberina on short notice. Uh, it was a tough debut for him. Um, yeah, William Knight and Alonzo Menefield was, uh, I was expecting the finish. I kind of probably jinxed it on the preview show. It went all, all three rounds, but you know, William Knight, fair play to me. He deserved that win for sure. And, um, I think Todorovic and, uh, and the prelims headliner kind of saved his job. Basically he was on a losing streak going into this fight, but put on a, a solid performance against Mackie Patolo, but, um, a really, really solid prelims card to it, and, and that got us nicely warmed up for the main card. Yeah, and that main card, it, it was it was phenomenal as well. Like, you know, starting out with, with Mickey Gall versus Alex Morona, I had the bet with Nick Baldwin over on Twitter, uh, and he ended up losing that bet. Alex Morona won it. Just look, he just dominated Mickey Gall. I actually thought Mickey looked better maybe than he's ever looked before on the feet. Um, he hurt. Alex Morona in a big way I think in the second round and the commentators didn't really seem to want to call it I'm not going to go all out in the commentators as well he, like even Bisping was bad tonight but he's sitting inside DC so what can I fucking say but um, a really really contagious. <laughs> fucking is it? a really really good performance from Alex Morona uh, Brendan Allen in I thought he was just about winning Chris Curtis but a close one but Curtis again 
this guy, you have to keep an eye on this guy. Spencer Kite uh, spoke about him maybe a year ago at this stage, I think, over on the state of the UFC, and I've been kind of keeping an eye on him since, and I think everyone should. 6-0 and this year, uh, knocks out um, Brendan Allen. What a, what a performance there. And then we had the fucking Clay Guida fight. What, the Clay Guida fight, you know, just getting beaten from pillar to post, and then he comes back and, and submits this world champion. Those three fights, pretty good, weren't they? Yeah, unbelievable. I think uh, going back to the Alex Morona fight with Mickey Gall, I thought I didn't think it was a great matchup for Mickey Gall. I also didn't think that Alex Morona fought to his best of, of his abilities tonight. Uh, I've seen him fight much better in there, but uh, credit to Mickey Gall. He did look good. You can see those improvements, and that was a tough fight for him. Um, Chris Curtis, unbelievable. I mean, no, yeah, he was giving out about everyone writing him off and I, I think that Brendan Allen might have been guilty of maybe overlooking him a small bit there tonight as well and, and, and that cost him big time like Curtis with six wins this year and all those wins have come at like three different weight classes as well so I mean very very impressive year for Chris Curtis and he's a couple of big fights coming his way next year too um, I loved what I loved the finish in that fight, working the body, uh, which opened up that shot, that 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 right hand over that hurt Allen, and and it was just a perfect perfect finish as well. Clay Guida, an absolute legend as well, man. I I mean, how tough is that man? I I cannot get over it. Like when he eat when he ate that knee, I was full sure that Key Peterson was going to come in and stop the fight, and and I'm glad he didn't. Santos just completely gassed himself out and punched himself out. Probably had an adrenaline dump as well, which didn't help things either. But, I mean, to come in, get the finish over a multi-time Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu champion, absolutely sensational out of Clay Aguida. And, and he, he, you would have to be looking at him for, for UFC Hall of Fame now. Never, never saw the bright lights of any title shots or anything like that or I don't even know if he relatively even came close to getting it I know he's fought a couple of the top guys early on he's wins over Nate Diaz he's wins over Rafael Desanya so I mean I'd say we're looking at a future Hall of Famer there for sure and the Carpenter is, is some man would you think so no? I don't think so no. like there was a uh, there was a period of Clay Guida's career where he was kind of boring remember he had a lot of boring fights yeah. I think that might stand against him a little bit but MMA is different I've argued before with Diego Sanchez and other people like I think there is a place for people like a Sanchez or like a Guida even though you know Sanchez fought for a title so maybe it's a little bit different but I think there is a place for lads like that but I don't think he might be the guy. Like, Lozon would be up there as well, you know. He's one of the... Or, or you know, Cowboy uh, Cerrone even would be up there as one of those guys. But I think Cowboy probably will get in. I think Diego might in the few. Although Diego probably won't either because they, they don't they only do it, like, what, three, three a year or whatever it is. I don't think Clay Guida will, to be honest. But, you know, if there was an MMA Hall of Fame and it was a few a year, maybe. But a great anyway, a great performance tonight. And a great uh, Maybe not a great performance, but a great win for him anyway. But Jamal Hill versus Jimmy Cruz. I called it in fairness I called it uh, Jamal Hill went in there and he got the knockout straight away um, this was one of those fights where if the last fight for Jamal Hill hadn't happened where he got his arm tore off him in a kind of a freak uh, submission let's be honest and not a freak submission for him not a freak submission for Paul Craig because Paul Craig specialises in freak submissions so I'm not taking anything away from Paul Craig here if people wrote off Jamal Hill and he was a big underdog here because of that, like, I think that's stupidity. I honestly do. I think that's utter stupidity. And uh, he, he proved that. He just came in here, almost not crewed out in the first few seconds. 
and then did knock him out what not long after how much was a 48 seconds into it just destroyed him he looked more powerful he he just looked like a different level of fighter uh and absolutely just decimated jimmy crude and made it made it really look easy what like i i think he's championship level i think he's gonna get all the way there what do you think he's he he if you're going to, to have that loss against paul craig what you need to do is what jamal hill did tonight and just come in and absolutely obliterate your next opponent i thought his boxing is it was savage tonight we didn't get to see too much of it we only got to see less than a minute of it but just real tight combinations with massive power and he he went he he was thrown to kill from the very first bell and that first one as you said nearly the first combination he landed nearly knocked out jimmy crew and the second one was on money and you know he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder as well which will make him even more dangerous as well so you know, we're going to see a couple, him in a couple of big fights again next year as well, for sure. It was a really, really good performance from him. And yeah, I, I expect some big things from him as well. You know, we say it time and time again, a loss, a fighter will come out of a loss. And I, I, I think losses at certain parts of different fighters' career can only benefit them. And it looks like that has benefited Jamal Hill. Um, yeah, I couldn't yeah, agree more. I couldn't agree more. Like, so, yeah, some people... They need it, you know, they need it. Like, I was talking to Ben Elliott even there last week, and he was talking about, you know, the loss in his career. And it was a different sort of loss, I suppose, but some lads need it early. Some lads need it at different times in their careers. You ought to, And some lads, it'll wreck them. So, it's, uh, yeah, it was definitely one I agree with you uh, there. But the, the comment event in, uh, Fizaya versus Riddell, Oh, this was a <laughs> this was a barbaric fight, <laughs> and, and not barbaric in terms of technique. I think it was a beautifully technical technical fight, uh, but in terms of power, this was just oh, it was hurtful. <laughs> it was it was one of those fights you watch and it's. I was like treated before this fight happened. I was like, put the kid, put the kids to bed because we're yeah. about to see some blunt force trauma. So we are, and oh, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, Fiziev is some fighter. I, Oh, I just love watching him fight. Like the confidence that he has in his chin. Uh, w- one thing that I, I thought about that fight tonight was, and I think it stood to Fizayev in the fight, was that he was much more relaxed of the two fighters. I thought he was loose in the pocket, whereas I felt that Riddell was kind of a little bit too tight and maybe a little bit too wary of the power and the counter shots of Fizayev. But it was sensational. Uh, Fiziev was his range of striking tonight. He was throwing in some elbows. He opened up a couple of nasty cuts. You know, he took a few shots himself as well, but sometimes you have to take a few to give a few. But the spinning, the spinning heel kick knockout was sensational. He had a beautiful switch of stances before he did it because he also has a really good body kick. Um, his right body kick is very good. So when he switched stances, when he switched stances, it forced Brad Riddell to circle the opposite way and he circled right into that spinning wheel kick. So it was perfectly set up by Fiziev and this guy is a major player in the lightweight division now. Yeah, I thought the knockout was a bit of... Like, <clears throat> we'll talk about Pettis and stuff later on. I thought the knockout was a bit... It wasn't great by Riddell, to be honest. Like, the way he stepped over so open in that position, I think a big part of it was, though, there was a big head clash in the middle of the first round, I think it was. I think both of them were a little bit wary about coming in, uh, you know, in certain positions, say, when they were... uh, Fizzy was switching a lot between Southpaw and Orthodox, and kind of when uh, when they were both coming in on the switch... 
they were kind of sh- fucking clashing heads and they did it maybe three times in the first round if you watch they hit clash heads really badly once but almost clash heads a couple times and from then on they didn't really do it and it kind of adju- changed the fight and adjusted a little bit I thought Riddell won the first round if I'm not mistaken and in Fizz of the second but in the third yeah it's, like that step out from that side and being so open against the guy who throws kicks like that you just can't do that like I, I think that was you know type of shot that does land in, in, in a round three of a fight like I mean you're a little bit tired you're after taking a few shots already maybe you, like you just can't afford to lose that little yeah. bit of focus and, and that seems to be what would happen to, I, I think he was kind of set up perfectly for it as well Fizzy have showed some great great footwork tonight as well to move Brad Riddell because uh, you were dead right about the clashing on the heads because they're two fighters that want to impose their will mm-hmm. on, on the fight and that can always happen when we've seen it time and time again where you can come in and get those clashes but I thought that throughout as the fight progressed that Fizayev's octagon control and his footwork had Brad Riddell moving backwards and I think Fizayev was fighting the fight that he wanted to fight before for maybe rounds two and for the, what we've seen in round three as well but mm-hmm. uh, really really great fight I really enjoyed that one it really lived up to all the expectations it was actually it was actually the first I had for Fizyev and the second I had for Riddell and I remember now because um, Dean Thomas was going on about like oh his body language is winning the rounds with the, the judges and now look he could have won that round because it was a very close round both of them were relatively close but um, <laughs> I what just thought think that was hilarious stoppage? Uh, what do you think of the stoppage? Th- that was the one Herb Dean came. Oh yeah, it was that was a good stoppage. Yeah, I think it was. He was hurt. He I think Herb had a good night. I think yeah, Herb had a good did. night tonight overall. He had another great good stoppage. I, I was thinking about it. Though. All right, it it does not make up for all the bad stoppages. It doesn't bring back those brain cells. It doesn't make up for him being the worst co- um, commentator. I'm mixing him up with DC, worst <laughs> referee in the world. Like it just doesn't make up for it. I know I see somebody like Ariel tweeting that. Yeah, where credit is due, though. Yeah, you yeah, do, but he doesn't. Like if he had built it up, like if 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 Mark Goddard makes a mistake. You know, you, you, he has it built up because he's been a great referee for so many fights and he saves so many fighters. You make a mistake, you make a mistake. But if you make a hundred mistakes and then get one good call, how much fucking credit do you actually deserve? I, I'm not buying into that one now much, to be honest. And I'm not going to start fucking sucking off Herb Dean because he made one good stoppage in the last fucking year. Like, no thanks, you know? I <laughs> I'm not accusing you of doing that, but I saw some well, people no, no, online no. doing it now, and it's like, all right, oh, no, calm no. down. Like, I, I just credited, I just credited the stoppage mm-hmm. tonight. But I mean, yeah, you're dead. It right, was a mean, good stoppage. Yeah, yeah, it was a good stoppage. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, but Fizev is like he's gonna fight someone really, really good at the top of that division. I would love to see him <laughs> fight Makachev. I, I know Makachev is fighting Dariush now, but. Whew, oh, yeah, holy that hell, that's a, good a fucking fight. fight. I, 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 I think they were going to see that fight down the line, <laughs> no, yeah. sometime down the line. Like, I don't yeah. like Fiziev is going nowhere in that division. I mean, looking at he he'll move into probably the top 10 now. You could probably maybe give him somebody like. Gregor Gillespie or somebody like yeah. that maybe next and 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 see or, or someone like Rafael dos Anjos might be a good fight for oh, him. That'd, that'd be a great re- fight. Love yeah, it. let's do yeah. that. Let's do that. Right, great, a great up and down UFC card. Uh, fair play to you all, lads. Congratulations. Um, let's move on to Bellator and talk a little bit about that. I'll run, we'll just talk about the main event here, but I'll quickly run through what we had on uh, the undercard. Uh, Kyle Crutchmere kind of took down Oliver Inkamp uh, and won that fight over decision. Spike Carlisle and Dan Morris put on one of the best fights of the year. If you haven't seen this, it's up on YouTube. Go and watch it. An unbelievable comeback by Spike Carlisle, who is... 
a bit of a scumbag. Go and, go and Google him and look it up because I feel like the Sound of Violence ads will give out to us. So I don't mention it, but it's, yeah, he, I don't know. He, he's the best guy you want on your uh, on your promotion, but a great comeback and a great fight. Uh, Mike Hamill and Kills Mata, not the best in the world. We had a couple of decisions in the world. Hamill won that one. Montalvo won the next one. Coachelli won the one after that. And then Kai Kamaka and Alexander Sabley as well on the undercard. Johnny Eblen is a real prospect you have to look out for. Uh, he, I think he must have ten and all now. Is it? He he called out. Um, who did he call out? What's your man's name? John Salter in that middleweight division. That'd be a good fight. I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Fabian Edwards either. I think that'd be a good fight. Uh, but he's definitely one to keep an eye on. Josh Hill got a beautiful KO. Um, in the it was one hundred and forty, but he's one hundred and thirty-five or. And the, obviously the 135 pound title in the main event on the same night they announced the 135 pound tournament, which I'll talk more about on the Q and A. But he is now the alternate for that, so that's big for him. Uh, Jeremy Kennedy got a decision over Emmanuel Sanchez, not a classic. That one it was a good fight, not too bad. And in the main event, Sergio Pettis versus Haraguchi. One of the most notable fights we'll see this year. One of the, the most memorable fights, I suppose, we will see this year just because of the way uh, it uh, it went down. So if anyone wasn't watching, it was a, a domination, really, for Haraguchi. He was just too quick for Pettis early. Pettis was trying to counter but couldn't land anything. Uh, Haraguchi got a takedown. He was winning on the feet. His speed was just too much. In the second, there was another takedown for Haraguchi. Pettis just couldn't do anything to him. Takedown again in the third not landing anything, you know, just being decimated by him. Pettis was landing a little bit more in the fort, but there was another a takedown from Haraguchi, uh, and he let him up, but then it all turned around. There was a bit of, um, you know, the <laughs> there was a bit of a, uh, a, a, fin, uh, a bit of fighting against the fence. They broke out from it. Pettis threw a head kick. It went over the head of Haraguchi, and as he spun with the kick, he spun all the way around and threw a spinning back fist and knocked Kyoji Haraguchi's spark out with it at the uh, just after the midway point of the or a good bit after the midway point of the fourth round. It was one of those ones where if you're watching it live, you didn't see it. You know, I'm sure some people saw it, some people picked it out, but I, I didn't see it. And I saw, I saw, I think you said it as well, Ian. I saw a few people saying it that I, I thought it was a head kick at first because on the camera angle and at the speed in which he he threw it and the way his body he moved it didn't look like he landed it but then you go around you see it afterwards and it's like holy shit and it was a holy shit moment anyway because he just fell back and you're like did he head kick him did he knock him out with the head kick it was one of those moments where and you know we have a lot of fights obviously we watch and we're there and i'm there as well five o'clock in the morning i know you're there at night probably watching it by yourself with our, our you know the baby the missus and you know I'm, I'm not a big one for roaring and shouting anymore but I shouted when I heard that, and I was like, "Oh shit!" It was it was insane. Four. That was exactly yeah. my reaction. It was like it was one. Badness. It was one of those knockouts that just got you out of your seat. I was like up on my feet, and I was going, "Oh my god! Oh my god!" And it was it was just an unbelievable knockout. But you know, Pettis was not really fighting the best fight up until that moment. I didn't thought he just he got his tactics wrong at fighting a guy like Haraguchi, and um, yeah, he just found a way to do it. And it was one of those all time knockouts that we will be talking about for a long, long time and, and, and credit to Pettis and, you know, it's a tough one for Haraguchi. He's done quite well to come back after his knee injury and he's picked up the rising title and, you know, he was winning that fight until he, he got knocked out as well. So he'll have to dust himself off and, you know, he'll, he'll be getting himself ready for the, for the tournament coming up next year as well. And he'll be a major player in that tournament for sure.
As I think it was Ben Fox who said it. Um, he was winning that fight until he wasn't. You know, it was one of those ones where it was just. It was uh, almost going to stay that statement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was insane. And uh, yeah, like credit to both of them. Great, great performance from Haraguchi, but what a fucking. What a win! What, it's like, fucking unreal. Like yeah. I mean, I was like going nuts, and and I you were saying, I was saying, like it's it's stuff like that that happens in mixed martial arts is why I love the sport. I love it. Like I mean, you just never know, and that level of uncertainty of anything can happen, or if you a fighter loses concentration for one second and gets clipped, and it's just the swings of momentum that happen sometimes in MMA. It just makes the sport so exciting, and I just oh, I just love it. That knockout last night, the card tonight. Uh, it's just great. I just, I love MMA. It was, it was, do you know what was brilliant about this weekend? Was that like, we had a week off and we were like, oh, you know, we kind of needed that week off. We didn't, you know, and I, we didn't really have a week off because we don't get weeks off. Of it. But you know what I mean? There was no fights last Saturday night and no big UFC to talk about. And we were talking about different things maybe. And then there's a big UFC next week, obviously, which myself and Graham have already talked about in the podcast. But you could be forgiven for kind of overlooking this week or like, right, we'll just get through this week and we'll move on, you know? Uh, and even doing this podcast, we decided to start it with kind of next week. But maybe maybe we, maybe we got it ourselves, but I, I, I'm i happy enough to end it on a high anyway. But it was one of those weekends where, like, okay, the Bellator card was, was terrible for most of it, but it ended on this unbelievable high note. And in the UFC card today, it was just unbelievable the whole way through and ended on another high note. It was like... I was supposed to be next week when I'm buzzing about MMA, <laughs> but it's this week I'm buzzing about it. And it was, uh, yeah, it was just a phenomenal weekend. If every weekend was like this in MMA, we'd all be a lot happier and all be good. But, you know, we can't, we, uh, we can't complain about the it M- too much. The, the MMA gods looked after us tonight, that's it for is. sure. You know, the last UFC card was a tough one. Um, but I said it after that, you know, you have to take the good or you have to take the bad ones with the good ones. And we were treated this weekend. And, yeah, we have another great card coming up next weekend as well. So it's going to be it's going it's a good time it's a good time to be an mma fan right now right we will leave it there so thank you to everybody for uh tuning in uh thank you to both graham and ian for joining me uh today uh if you like this episode please give us like a thumbs up wherever you're listening to it um whether it's youtube spotify soundcloud wherever give us a subscribe if you're li- let's say if you're listening on spotify click subscribe and then go over to soundcloud and click subscribe yeah subscribe in a few different places it'd be great uh we're almost up to uh well o- well over we're almost up to two million listens uh everywhere but we're almost up to a million listens on soundcloud itself so that's absolutely fucking massive for us uh so we really really appreciate everyone appreciate all the support um patreon.com forward slash severe podcast if you haven't signed up yet there's no better time there's some fantastic stuff up there at the moment uh this week graham on wednesday speaks to andy ryan it's a great interview i've listened to it uh we'll have a speaker's corner this week we'll have a contender coming up either this week or next week myself and, and ian here are going recording four of them this week so we'll have a lot coming over to christmas uh, so yeah i'm really uh really looking forward and really proud of what we're doing on patreon and as well uh, Ian Cochran's GoFundMe, please, please go over uh, and uh, and give what you can there because it's very, very important. And uh, fair play to Conor McGregor and uh, you know um, Fergal Davis, aka Finn Balor, who's given to that, and, and everyone else as well. Uh, you're you're doing uh, you're doing great stuff. So and, and fair play to John Kavanagh and Andy Ryan and all those lads as well for setting up that seminar. So it should be absolutely fantastic. Right, everyone, that's it from us. Uh, follow us, Severe May, Ian O'Neill, Sean Sheehan, and we'll see you all next time.